I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and to Luke chapter 1. So if you'll turn to both Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, I know if you're in a Bible, that's pretty easy to do. Because you can just put a finger in one and like flip. I don't know some of you, unless you can dual screen your Bible app, I'm not sure how you're going to pull that off. But you can figure it out. Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. So we continue to look at the characters of Christmas. Last week we began our series and uh, we looked at the prophets. We looked at the prophets of the Old Testament and how God had spoken through them to tell of this promise that he had been giving from the beginning. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned, God said there was going to be one who was going to come and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. There was going to be one who would be struck and one who would crush. And this Redeemer King is the one everybody was waiting for. And he, he then made for himself a people out of Abraham and his family. And then the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness into the promised land. That's what we've been studying for a few years in the Old Testament. And then as the kings would come, there was a King David. And and from David's line would come this Redeemer that would sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And the prophet spoke of the one who would come and was preparing the people. And the question we asked last week was, but were the people ready? Were the people prepared? They had been told they should have known he was coming. We learned last week that at the perfect time, God sent his son into the world. At the time of fulfillment, when everything was in place in God's plan, there was no plan B, there was no whim, there was no, it was God's plan. And so Jesus is the perfect Savior King who came to us as the per, at the perfect time to make his people perfect and holy as he is holy. This is what we learned last week, that Jesus is the perfect Savior King who came to us at the perfect time. Because God's plan is perfect, and he came to make us holy and perfect. So we need to be a people who realize that Jesus has come and is coming again, and when he comes again, when the time is fulfilled and the time is perfect, will we be ready? Are we eagerly awaiting this coming king who's coming again. And and as we're waiting, how are we preparing? What does it look like for us to prepare for the king to come? What what would happen to your heart, your life, your aspirations, your goals, your mindset, your priorities if Jesus showed up today? If the Lord came today, how would that affect your life? And you're like, well, yeah, let's do it. Except I think we live most of our lives and most days of our lives as if that promise isn't actually going to be fulfilled anytime soon. Not necessarily preparing for the day. We're, we're not thinking with an eternal mindset and that Jesus could return at any moment. How, how would it affect your life right now if Jesus walked through these doors and said, I have a different plan for your day? For your life, for your week, right? Well, what would it look like for Jesus to interrupt our lives? Well, in the story of Joseph and Mary, we see this interruption. We see this holy interruption of a young couple who had plans. And when the angel shows up to both of them, those plans changed because their small town plans we're now going to turn into a global redemption plan. 
And we as God's people need to understand that we might be small town planning, but God has a global redemption plan and he means to wreck our plans in order to accomplish his. So today, the question for us is, are we ready for our plans to be wrecked? Are we willing for God to wreck our plans to accomplish his purposes? For his promises to be fulfilled in us and for us. So we look at Jesus' mother, Mary, and his adoptive father, Joseph. And first we'll look at Joseph. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I think this is really fascinating because you really think about it. The beginning of Matthew's gospel is here's a genealogy. And then he gets to this verse and he says, and this is how the birth happens. And so those of us who were raised in church or those of us who have seen nativity scenes, we're all thinking like manger, animals, shepherds, angels, all of these things are going to happen now, right? We're going to hear about the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem, all of that. But instead he goes, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was not the direction I thought we were going with the birth of Jesus. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So instead of glory, we get scandal. That's Matthew's gospel, right? Instead of glory and this beautiful picture that we can turn into a pristine uh, picture every, every Christmas, we get scandal. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. I'd underline that. Underline that right there. Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Underline, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Underline that. He called his name Jesus. This is Joseph's role in the story. Luke chapter 1 goes on to say, and this is the angel coming to Mary now. How's Mary going to be involved here? We know she gives birth, but how, how does this happen? It says in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel, verse 26, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Plans wrecked. 
Young couple, betrothed, going to get married. Plans, wrecked. So the first thing we have to understand is that God's plan always interrupts our plans. God's redemptive plan is bigger than our plans, more important than our plans, and is the story that is being written around us. See, this story is not about Joseph and Mary. It's the story of Jesus' birth, but Matthew's gospel doesn't spend time talking about mangers and shepherds. He actually speaks very little of the birth of Jesus. Instead, he speaks of the promise given to Joseph. This promise as the son of David, this promise of the kingship of this son, the fact that the son will be a savior, the fact that Joseph ends the, is at the end of the genealogy in Matthew as the, you know, as the one who is the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ, meaning that he is the link to the whole lineage back to David and back to Abraham. All that God has promised is being fulfilled right here in interrupting Joseph's plans. Luke's story starts with a young 12 to 14 year old girl. They were both from a small town, one that doesn't show up on maps. In fact, there's no real evidence of Nazareth being spoken of in the Jewish world until after Christianity shows up and puts it on the map. You can almost think of Nazareth like like a rest stop on the way to another place. Like anybody go to um, Bush Gardens for Christmas Town or anything like that? You're going to Williamsburg or you're going to the beach? Like you get on, you know, you're going to go to the beach. And so what, what do you do? We know that right on the other side of Richmond, right when you get back on 64, right, there's what? A rest area. We all know the rest area, don't we, before Williamsburg? The love sign is out there. It's the place to stop, Right? It's like we've got to get through the city, got to get through the traffic, then we'll stop at the rest area. That's Nazareth. Right? It, it's, a, it's a toll road stop, basically. It's a place where nobody thought about it. Nobody cared. A normal man and a normal girl from a normal town. An unassuming carpenter from Nazareth. A girl who would have been born poor, married poor, been illiterate, managed a home and her children, and then died in anonymity. So why him? Why her? Why here? Why Joseph at the center of Matthew's narrative? Well, I think one simple reason is because in a normal man from a normal place, we all find ourselves, don't we? In this unremarkable man, we find something remarkable happening. Isn't that the hope of the gospel? God's grace overshadowing what makes us unremarkable? What, what, happens, what happens when Joseph and Mary, with all their plans, have God interrupt through this angel? How, how do they respond? How would we respond? Why, why is Mary in this story? What, what, what part does she play? Not just as the mother of Jesus, but... We get to ask the question when we read about Mary, how prepared are we to respond in obedience to what the Lord calls us to? How prepared are we to respond as an agent of God's redemptive plan for the world? Think about Joseph and Mary's plan, okay? It says they were betrothed to be 
married. And this is where some confusion comes in because then later it says he woke up and he did what the angel said. He took Mary as his wife and he knew her not until the day she gave birth to the son and he called his name Jesus. So we, we know that there's some, there's some technical jargon going on here that maybe we don't understand in our culture because we tend to think you date, right? Or if you're biblical in the 1990s, you court, right? Um, it's a joke for all the kids who were raised in Christian schools or homeschooled right there. Um, so you date, then you get engaged, then you get married. When you get engaged, you, you, the guy gives a ring, the, right? The guy gets nothing, <laughs> right? But he gives a really expensive ring to the girl and uh, gets nothing in return. And, and then you're, you're engaged for however long. Um, it takes to plan the wedding and the parents approve of the time and get everybody together. And then you have this big shindig and now you're married, right? It's the way it works. It's just not the way it worked in Jewish culture. Now in Jewish culture from childhood, Mary now at age 12 or 14, not a child anymore at 12 to 14, young woman at that point would, would have been, um, there would have been an arranged marriage with Joseph and his family. And there would have come a time when she became 12 to 14 years old where a betrothal would happen. This was a legal, a legal relationship now, much like marriage. It wasn't just giving of a ring. It was they were husband and wife. They just didn't live together. And betrothal was a time of about a year where they wouldn't live together under the same roof. So they're, for all intents and purposes, legally husband and wife, but there is no physical relationship. The two have not become one. That's what's happening here. And so Joseph is preparing the home for Mary to move into. And during that time, there's supposed to be no intimacy between the two. And the only way to break that relationship would have been a legal documented divorce. And so you can see Joseph here, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, he's put in a conundrum, isn't he? His plans are now ruined. He's been preparing the home for her to move into. He's been preparing life, and his plans are ruined. He's not going to marry Mary, that's for sure. And he's now put in this position of, well, either people are going to know that she cheated on me, or they're going to think that we sinned. Either way, it's a loss. It says he considered these things. He pondered these things. He, he, he decided to show mercy and compassion and divorce her quietly, not shaming her. And in the middle of all of this craziness, in the middle of all of the plans, in the middle of all this happening, here comes the angel saying, oh, it's bigger than that, Joseph. <laughs> you think you got problems. Let me just tell you what God's up to. And here's Mary. Unassuming Mary going about her day. Angel shows up and says, hey, by the way, you're going to be pregnant soon. Don't freak out. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The presence of the Lord is going to overshadow you. They were betrothed to be married. And now all of that is turned on its head. So how do they respond like they respond? You call it how they responded, right? Like, okay. 
I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what you get. Like, Joseph wakes up and goes, all right, time to be faithful. You know, Mary goes, whatever the Lord says. How do you get to that point? Because I don't know about you, but if, like, my plans for one day get wrecked, I'm, like, in a bad mood all day. Right? I'm like, well, I was, what a waste of a day. Anybody ever feel that way? Here they are, their whole lives have been turned upside down, and they go, yes, Lord. How do you get there? Well, the first thing we see is this, that God's promises are the security of his plan. Let me say that again. God's promises are what secures his plan. They're the firm foundation that they can stand on. And that's what the angel Gabriel comes with, is he doesn't just come with, I've got news. He comes with, I've got promises from God that are being fulfilled. And you guys are a part of that. God's plan is not just some willy-nilly, spur-of-the-moment idea. No, the security that Joseph and Mary can find in giving up their plans for God's plan is that God is a keeper of his promises. And when he promises something, he does it. And that's always the foundation for trusting him in all of his plans. So just look at some of the promises that, and some of the fulfillments that are found here. Look at verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1. This is Joseph. As he's thinking about Mary being pregnant now, what am I going to do about this? As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. If it wasn't an angel, you go, who's playing a prank? Right? But an angel shows up in his dream and says, this is what you need to know. It's here that we see the foundation for Joseph to find security. To, to do not fear. Because I don't know about you, but I'm fearing at that point. But he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. And there's plenty of reason for fear. But the angel says, this is why you don't need to fear. You're the son of David. You're of the royal line. And I'm going to fulfill, God's going to fulfill the promises he made to David through you. And that promise is this, found in 2 Samuel, that his kingdom will last forever. He will sit on the throne forever. He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. And it's in that promise being fulfilled in all of the stories and all of the scripture, all of the prophecies that Joseph had heard at the synagogue, all that he had heard and known to be true is now coming to fulfillment right here. You're going to be adopting this child of Mary as your own. You, you will name him Jesus, which is the action of a father to a son. It's the right of a father to a son in Jewish culture to name the son. You will bring him into the lineage of David the king. You will be a part of God keeping the promise that he made that his kingdom will never end. And then the angel goes on, do not fear to marry Mary because the Holy Spirit is in charge of this. The child is of the Holy Spirit. God is keeping his promise to his people through Mary's womb. Verse 21, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But the promises are there for Mary too. Look at Luke 1, verse 28. He came to her. He said, Greetings, old favorite one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid. 
There it is again. Do not be afraid. There's security here, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. It's at this moment that Mary did you know because Mary knew. Okay. It doesn't mean that she knew everything that Jesus would do, but he's going to be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his king of his kingdom, there will be no end. At this point, she's going, oh, so my baby's not going to be normal. Like my baby's the son of God. At this point, she knows. Okay. And at this point, God is promising something that is going to be clear Even in her womb, he says, don't fear, the Lord is with you. And every time she looks down for nine months, she's going to know what? The Lord is with her. She's going to know his promises are being kept, not just for her, but for all of God's people. And that would allay her fears. And even more than that, the promises of God are the same for Mary as for Joseph. God is keeping his promises to his people through Mary and Joseph. That the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of the Most High, the King that will sit on the throne forever will be born to her. And I want you to think about this. If the promise is and the fulfillment is that Jesus is the one who will sit on the throne forever and ever, right? Question, if his kingdom will never end, how secure is that? It's not much better security than the king sits on his throne forever and ever and ever. And that's the promise. God's promises are the security to not fear God's plan. See, when God makes a promise, he keeps them. And so when he makes a promise, we can have a firm foundation of security to not fear God's plan, no matter how scary and impossible the plan seems. And this seems like an incredibly impossible Plan, doesn't it? In fact, I love Mary's response. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's going, okay, so I'm going to have a baby. And literally she asked the question, not how, how could God do this? Interrupting my plans or could this really happen? Not how can this happen, but how will this happen? Which I think is a fair question, right? As a 12 to 14 year old girl sitting there and saying, oh, I'm going to have the baby Jesus, who's the son of God. How's he going to work this out? Not can he, not will he, but how will he do this? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do this. And the picture that's given to her is that the presence of God is going to cover Mary like on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took some of his disciples up right, and revealed his glory to them. It's that sort of picture. It's the picture of the, the presence of God enveloping the, the tent of meeting where his presence and his glory would be known. That's the picture that's given here. I don't know all the particulars. I don't want to know all the particulars. But suffice it to say that I think that the angel got it right in verse 37, that Elizabeth's baby was a clear picture that God can do this and that God was going to do this. And verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So if you sit here and go, how could God do that? How, how does that work? The answer is because he's God. 
and he keeps his promises and he is able. The the work of God is going to wreck the plans of Joseph and Mary for a greater redemptive plan. The work of God is going to fulfill the promises of God for salvation for his people in this son of David. The Spirit of God was going to provide everything necessary to accomplish this seemingly impossible plan. But, but why? Why Mary and Joseph? Why Nazareth? Why these two unknown, seemingly unimportant people from an unimportant town? I mean, the angel Gabriel bypassed Jerusalem, bypassed kings and magistrates, bypassed the rich, bypassed high priests, bypassed the temple to come to a lowly couple in a lowly place. In fact, the, the disciple uh, Nathaniel will say, what good could come out of Nazareth, right? Like there's just nothing, like that's a podunk place, podunk people, nothing good can come out of that. Why them? Why that place? Because God's grace is the provision for his plan. Because God's grace is what's at work here. Because they didn't deserve it. Because they weren't kings and queens. Look at verse 28. When the angel greeted Mary in Luke chapter 1. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's one of my favorite scenes in the entire Bible. And this is why. Because every other time an angel shows up to somebody, they fall on their face. Right. And they they and it says they fell on their face as if dead, <laughs> like over and over and over again. An angel shows up and everybody's like, whoa. So I don't know if the angel dialed back the luminescence or the fiery eyes or like the sword was in the sheath, not drawn. What what? I don't know. Like keeping angel wings hidden. I don't know what was going on here. Or Mary was just like a teenager I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, so I don't really know what's happening here. But what I do know is that Mary wasn't freaked out, it says, by the sight of the angel. What she thinks about is what the angel said. I just wish I could get my teenage girls to think about what I say. Right? No, but just, just this is what's happening, right? The angel speaks and she goes, well, what kind of greeting is that, Mr. Angel? Not, what are you doing here? Where did you come from? Why are you shining like giant guy in my house? Now, what am, what's happening? It's, hmm, what kind of greeting is this? Now, what's interesting is it's actually this scene that Catholic tradition has just taken and run with, right? In the 19th century especially became this idea that Mary, because she is called the favored one, never sinned. She's the one full of grace. And so she never sinned. The problem with that is Mary doesn't seem to think that. That's why she's greatly troubled at the saying. When she hears, hey, you that God is showing grace to, she's like, why me? Because otherwise, if she was like, well, I've never sinned. I wonder what that angel's going to show up to talk to me. What, if you knew you had never sinned and never done anything wrong for an angel to show up, you'd be like, yeah, I've been waiting for you. I figured God would want to talk to me at some point. But instead, she goes, wait a minute, why me? But what kind of greeting is this? She, she, she reacts to, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you, with, why am I getting grace? 
See, the, the grace of the Lord was on her. The favor of the Lord is being given to her. The presence of the Lord is going to be with her. And her reaction was to be troubled by the idea and try to figure out what the angel could mean. She knew she wasn't special. She knew she wasn't remarkable. She definitely knew she wasn't sinless, but she was being favored. She was being shown grace. Why? Because Mary is going to be God's agent in his redemption plan. Why? Because of grace. Not because she's Mary, but because of his grace. This child was going to look like Mary. Have you ever thought about that? Joseph doesn't get this. But this was a child born of Mary, born of a woman. So if this child's smile was going to look like anyone, it would be Mary's smile. Color of eyes, maybe Mary's color of eyes. Maybe share a laugh. So when she holds this little baby in her arms, she sees the face of God. And that face looks a little bit like her. Being made in the image of God takes on a little bit of a different meaning at that point, doesn't it? Is that not grace? That she gets to experience this? It's different for Joseph, though. God's grace for Joseph was a little different in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, she will bear a son, so she gets to do that. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Joseph's part in the redemption plan was to adopt this child of Mary into the royal line of David. So Mary's role was to carry the grace of God in her womb as one who needed his grace. Joseph's, Joseph's role was to name the Savior that he needed. That's the grace that was being shown to them and their role that they were going to be played, playing. That Joseph would adopt this child into the family who would then allow us to be adopted into the family of God. And we are now adopted into the family of God by the very one who became one of us, who dwelt among us, who breathed our air, who lived the perfect life of obedience that we wouldn't live. So that now we can find life in his life, death to our sins in his death on the cross, eternal life in his resurrection. Because we're recipients of God's grace, we, we are now those who share in the perfect obedience of Jesus, his his obedience becomes our obedience. His righteousness becomes our righteousness because of the grace of God. We don't need Mary to be perfect. We aren't being attributed Joseph's righteousness, although he's called righteous. The baby is the one we need. And we are now the ones, because of what God works out in this greater plan, we are now the ones who have been given a message of grace for the world. See, God interrupted, wrecked the peaceful plans of a poor couple in Nazareth to fulfill his purpose for us by his grace. But what I find extraordinary about Mary and Joseph isn't their upbringing, isn't their title, their position, where they were from. No, what's most extraordinary about them is how prepared they were or how prepared they seem to be for the impossible happening. How prepared they seem to be when the angel showed up. 
and told them what was going to happen. Because in my life, if an angel shows up, it's getting pretty dramatic around the house. In their lives, the angel shows up and they obey. And I believe it's because faith and obedience are the preparation for God's people to be a part of the redemption plan that he has for us. See, the prophets had foretold of the virgin giving birth, and Mary and Joseph knew this as they had heard the readings at the synagogue. The prophets had promised a king was coming. I'm sure from the line of David, Joseph had heard, hey, you know your ancestor. Maybe one day you can be king, Joseph. Walk, you grow up pray, playing prince, right? Jonathan and David, you know. This is, this is what's happening, and this is part of their life. But learning from these things and believing these things is very different. (laughs) Learning the things at church that you know about Jesus and actually believing them, very different. What's obvious from the reactions and the actions of both Mary and Joseph is this. They believed and obeyed. They believed what God was up to. They obeyed because they believed. Joseph's heart is clear from the beginning because he, he, he wanted to keep God's law. It says he was a righteous man and wanted to divorce quietly. He wanted to call sin a sin, but he wanted to show compassion too, and he's a righteous man for that. Joseph was a man of righteous faith, and his reaction to the truth about Mary shows the same righteous faith. Verse 24, Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As soon as he woke up, He obeyed. He sacrificed. He followed without delay. He didn't say, hey, you know, I really need to think about how this is going to affect my business as a carpenter. You know, I really need to think about what my future looks like. What are people going to say? I really need to consider how this affects me day to day right now. No, instead he acted in righteous obedience. He didn't weigh his options. The only option was righteous obedience. When we believe the Lord, we follow in obedience. And what did Mary say in response? Luke one thirty eight says this, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Faith and obedience. I don't believe for a minute that Joseph and Mary, that this was their first time hearing the word of the Lord and obeying. I don't think it starts when an angel shows up. I think you're prepared when the angel shows up because you've been doing this for a lifetime. Because you walk in obedience and in faith. And, and that's what I believe it means when you're favored and righteous. Shows that this is who they were, that it was their mindset. That when they heard the word of the angel, they responded faithfully and obediently. Because they were prepared by a life of faithful obedience. Mary and Joseph were prepared to be a part of God's redemptive plan because they lived lives of faith and obedience. Question for us. When your plans get interrupted by God's plan, what does your life look like to prepare you for that? Faithful obedience? Trusting God? And obeying Him? When their wedding plans... All of their family planning, their future endeavors were wrecked. They were ready to faithfully obey by faith. So what happens when our plans get wrecked by a bigger plan? What happens with a family like the Chambers family? Both nurses, both got their careers 
crushing life. And the Lord says, I want to send you. I have a bigger plan in a different place to take the good news of the gospel to people who have never heard. Do you say, let let us get our affairs in order. Let us make sure this is going to work. Or do you trust that the one who promises is faithful? Maybe today you've never responded to the Savior Jesus. And now he's starting to wreck your plans. He's shown up in your life right now and you're hearing of this Savior Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins, and he's showing you your need of his grace. He's, he's showing you your need of salvation, your need of Jesus himself. And today is the day where you don't wait. You respond in faith. He's been preparing you for this very moment to hear this good news of a Savior who has given his life in your place Because you deserve death for your sins and he died in your place. And now you can have eternal life with him by trusting him. Or or maybe you are. Maybe you are a child of God. You've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. So the question for us is how are we preparing ourselves to be a part of God's bigger plan? That we understand that God is... God is using us to be agents of his reconciliation, to be ambassadors for him to the ends of the earth, to our neighbors, to everyone around us to make sure they hear of this good news of Jesus. Have you been faithfully walking in obedience because you believe that God has a purpose for your life that goes beyond anything you can imagine? Are you prepared for God to do something seemingly impossible in and through you? As I get ready to close, I want to ask you these questions. If God called you right now to something seemingly impossible, what would your answer be? How could you do that? How would that even work, God? I don't know if I can give this up. Or would it be? All right, how are you going to work that out? Is it going to be, let me think about it? That doesn't fit into my plans. Or would it be, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Is your life and your heart prepared for Jesus to arrive? Because that's what's on the horizon. And Jesus told parable after parable about those who weren't ready, who knew he was coming and they weren't ready. The Lord Jesus is coming, the one who came to save his people from their sins. He's coming again to gather those who eagerly await his return. What does it mean to eagerly await his return? Well, we rely on his grace. We must rely on his grace and his presence and wait eagerly for the fullness of his presence with us. We understand that God's with us now, but it's going to get even better. So we eagerly wait. But we believe his word. And his promises, and that gives us security for today to be able to walk in the plans of God for us today and for eternity. And so we respond in faith and obedience to the calling he has placed on our lives. And I want to make sure you understand this. If you are a believer in Christ, it is not just the Chambers family who has been called to be an ambassador for Christ. It's you. It's me. Much bigger plans. God has much bigger plans for you than your job. Much bigger plans than college. Much bigger plans. Much bigger plans. He wants you to be a part of his redemption plan for the world. So whatever your plans, 
Whatever your position, whatever your prospects for the future, there is no security outside of Christ himself. No security outside of the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. No true life, no true purpose outside of God's plan of grace for you. So will you trust Jesus? Live by faithful obedience. Be, be a part of this seemingly impossible plan to take the grace of God to the world. Seventeen seventy one. A church was planted on this property. And you're like, why here? <laughs> because people needed the gospel here. See, see, here's what we miss. At one point in seventeen seventy one, this was the impossible. Two guys crossed the James River with the impossible. We're going to probably get arrested for this, and they did. But we're going to preach the gospel because people there need to hear. Before Powhatan County was even Powhatan County, it was impossible to think that 251 years later there'd be a church on this property that's sending people to the ends of the earth with the gospel. But it wasn't impossible for those two guys. And when God wrecked their plans as young men and said, cross the James River, go preach the gospel, they didn't say, well, let us make sure... Let it be to me according to your word. Do you trust him that much today? That he's a firm foundation, a solid rock for you to trust him and follow him. Father, I pray that we would be people of faith like that. To trust you for the seemingly impossible. Because with you, nothing is impossible. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.